Salt Company. How are you doing tonight? Happy Halloween. I enjoyed the, uh, the costumes. I felt like somebody had to acknowledge that. And it would be really weird if we just went the whole night and pretended like we weren't all wearing costumes. But I, I do appreciate them very much. I was wondering if, if we would wear costumes again this year. I thought about this morning, I was like, oh, it would be kind of funny if I, like, like, as a costume, just, like, took my headphones and wore them around my nose and be Timothy Chalamet from Dune, you know? Um, and I almost did it. I literally, before Salt was walking up the stairs, like, oh, this would be really funny. And I stopped halfway and was like, that'll be really dumb, actually. So I'm not doing it, but um, so you're welcome. Anyway, you don't know who I am yet. Hello, my name is Sam. It's nice to meet you. Um, if we haven't met yet, I'm on staff here um, at Doxa Church. Um, and uh, I occasionally get to do Salt stuff, which is super, super cool. Um, I uh, have been here um, in Madison for... Is this my fourth year? I'm, yeah, I mean, it must be, because, yeah, that's so weird. Time is a cruel thing, you know. Speaking of movies, it's just like we're all sitting on the beach that makes you old, you know. Anyway, sorry. No more memes tonight. I'm sorry. Um, well, there might be a couple more. My name is Sam. Uh, I work here at Doxa. Um, a little bit about me really quick. Um, I became a Christian uh, in about 2008, not about 2008, in 2008, circa 2008, um, when I was in middle school, um, after several years of, like, things were just really rough for me, um, when I, um, when, when my parents divorced, but, uh, when I was in middle school, um, decided to start following Jesus for myself, uh, then followed Jesus for many years, went to college at Iowa State, where I got plugged into the Salt Company, um, decided there I'm gonna move, um, and help a church plant after I graduate, moved to Madison, um, and the rest is history, so, I graduated in 2018 uh, in graphic design, um, and I do that kind of for DOXA as part of my job. But then the other part of my job here at DOXA um, is I oversee local missions for us here at DOXA Church, which is basically kind of our, um, uh, how we think through like helping um, people in the community, our, our local outreach and community support, stuff like that. Um, specifically through volunteering with the school. So super, super cool. I super um, love uh, what I get to do um, with Docs. I love that I still get to jump in on a bunch of salt stuff. Um, but super weird because um, it feels like not that long ago that I was um, where you're sitting metaphorically um, as a college student, and I just kind of fell backwards um, into this role that I'm in um, to now. But I super love it, and I super love um, helping connect people um, to Jesus and helping people um, see uh, God's heart for people um, and how to love them well, which is super great because that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. So um, we've been in this series, Parables, um, where we've been talking about um, Jesus's parables, um, as the name suggests. Um, and tonight we're going to um, land in Luke chapter 10. So you can go ahead and start flipping there um, to kind of catch you up to speed of, of what's been happening in this book up to this point to where Jesus shares this parable that we're going to look at tonight. Um, Luke has been kind of spending the first nine chapters of his book establishing who Jesus is, and now Jesus is going to turn and start showing people following him, this is what it looks like to follow me. And specifically tonight, we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you're like me uh, and you didn't grow up going to church, I didn't go to church until I was like 10. And so when I first went to church, it was like very foreign to me. I was like, why are people raising their hands? So they have questions, what's going on? None of this stuff was obvious to me. And if you're like me, you hear that phrase, good Samaritan, and you're like, oh, thank goodness, finally. 
I know this one, you know. Like, we're doing all these weird parables. Like, we're talking about goats and, and wheat and things and stuff. Like, like, you know, I don't know anything about agriculture or whatever, you know. But the Good Samaritan, I've heard of that. Um, and also, if you're like me, um, after you listen to this story, you'll probably be like, oh, I didn't know about that. That is much different than kind of the phrase, you know, that, that I grew up familiar with, right? Like, we all kind of know that phrase, like, Good Samaritan, like, be a star citizen, you know, like, be a good doodle and, like, get a sticker for, like, helping grandma across the street or whatever, you know. But this story tonight, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is so much deeper um, than that kind of just, like, turn of phrase would have um, you think um, and super, super cool. So let's get into it. Tonight we're going to see through this parable Jesus show us how we ought to love other people. He's going to show us to what extent do we love other people, and then finally he's going to clue us in to how we're supposed to do that. So start reading with me um, in verse 25. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, pause. You might be able to tell we have not actually gotten into the parable yet. Um, we have to set up a little bit what's going on, you know. So you might remember last week, Roger was like, dude, this, this week, like, Jesus actually explains the parable. And we don't quite get that this week, but we do get kind of like a set up, a story um, that clues us into why Jesus is choosing to, to share this parable that he is. So a little background information for you first with this first paragraph here. Basically at this point in Jesus's ministry, he kind of has a following, right? He has a following. People um, have come to know who he is. They uh, maybe recognize his name. They've heard something about him. He's going around uh, the place, you know, telling people, repent for the kingdom is near. And he's gaining this specifically kind of a bad reputation with the religious elite of the day because he's challenging things that they're teaching and, and he's speaking with authority and contradicting them. And maybe most offensive of all, he's hanging out with sinners, People that they see of like, you should not hang out with those people because it looks like you're condoning everything that they do. Like, what do you think you're doing? And so with that in mind, we now see in this story, a lawyer stands up to put him to the test. Now, when you hear that, that word, lawyer, right? Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. You might think like, oh, lawyer? Like, like the guys that I see like on billboards, right? You know, like on the belt line, like, you know, injured? Call 1-800-Garfield and Barfield or whatever, you know, or like, the commercials, whatever. Have you ever listened to Nickelback? You're entitled to compensation. That lawyer, whatever. Fun fact aside, that's the second meme of the night. I texted Dylan today because I was like, should I make a Nickelback joke? That's probably a really dated joke. Like, will my Gen Z audience relate to that? Or is that like more of a millennial thing? So I texted Dylan and was like, hey, what's a band that everyone hates? And he, without, you know, any hesitation, Nickelback. I was like, perfect. <laughs> We're, you know, still, sorry, Nickelback. Anyway, sorry. Lawyer. This guy's a lawyer. What does that mean? Well, it's not like, you know, a, a lawyer that you and I would think of. Maybe, maybe a better way to think about it is expert in the law, specifically the law of Moses. He's an expert in the Levitical law of Moses, or in other words, this guy is an expert and an authority in the Old Testament law. He knows all about it. He knows how it should be applied. And if you're like me, you see this guy come up to, to Jesus 
And he literally asked him, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And I read that and I'm like, why doesn't Jesus just answer him? You know, like literally, like if your roommate came up to you and you've been trying to reach out to them all semester or whatever, and they're like, hey, I just, I just want to know straight up, how do I get to heaven? And you're like, I don't know, Kevin, how do you? You know, you wouldn't do that. You'd be like, oh my gosh, yeah, let me share the gospel with you or whatever. So what, what is Jesus doing? But I think Jesus, he knows what, he knows what is actually up, right? He knows like what, what this guy is doing, right? Look, look again at verse 25, lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Jesus knows like this question that he's asking him, hey, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's not actually coming out of like a place of sincerity because we see in other texts where people ask like, just tell me like, what do I need to do to have eternal life? What do I need to do to be saved? Jesus and his disciples explain to him, But with this guy, Jesus can totally tell. This guy is trying to set me up for a trap, but in love, he's going to turn the trap back on him. So um, look with me again at um, verse 26. He says, what is written in the law? He's like, what do you think? What, What does the law say? And this guy, expert in the law, he's like, oh, the law, I'm a law guy. I love the law. I'm a big law guy. I, I know all about the law, you know? I can tell you right now. And here, this guy has two choices, right? Either law guy can be, I shouldn't call him law guy, expert in the law can be like, let me cite for you literally every one of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, or he can sum them up. And that's what he does. He sums them up. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Sums it up. Basically, those two commandments, all of the other commandments kind of hinge on that. You can sum them up, sum them up all that way. That would have been like a super common way to sum up all, the, all of the laws. And we even see that Jesus like sums them up that way himself. And so naturally, Jesus is like, yeah. Like, he's like, bet, you know, totally. You got it. Just do that and you'll be good. And here, this is super interesting to me. There's this kind of fork in the road moment. You know, he's, he's what's the law say? love God, love people, the dude could be like, I can't do that. He, he totally could be like, that is like a huge thing to ask, but he doesn't do that, you know? He could have changed the conversation to then ask Jesus, Jesus, I fess up. I, I can't do this on my own. Please tell me like, if I can't live up to that standard, how can I be saved? But instead, look at verse 29. It says, but he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so it's like this guy thinks he's doing some crafty X game stuff where he's like, you know, like, I, I, I know what to do. Like, this guy totally knows he can't live up to the standard that he just listed, right? Like, yeah, just with every fiber of your being and with every moment of the day, love God with all of your thoughts, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, right? And with all the dedication and all of the will that you care about yourself, care about everybody else that way. As long as you can do that, Jesus like, completely do that, absolutely impossible thing, you'll be set. Now, ironically, this guy in his arrogance thinks that he's got that first one down, love God, you know? He's like, I've got that down pat. I'm a pretty good guy. But it's that second piece, loving your neighbor, that he takes issue with and Jesus masterfully has him pinned on. So what does he do? He moves the goalpost. 
He's like, in his head, like, well, I can't do that. You know, that, that's impossible. And so he asks him, like, come on, Jesus. You can't really mean love everybody, right? You know, let's be real. Everyone, who really is my neighbor? And so Jesus answers him. Look with me at verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. The story of the good Samaritan. Jesus pins this guy and shows him how we ought to love, to what extent we love, and he clues us into how exactly we're supposed to do that. So, first, how we ought to love. <clears throat> Let's look back at this story and look at everything that the hero of the story, the Samaritan, does for this guy in the road. Now let's look at how Jesus describes this guy's love and how he describes the kind of righteousness that God expects from us. So starting in verse 34, it says that he went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, as in he, he took care of the wounds, disinfected them. Then he set him on his own animal, got off his animal, put him on. He brought him to an inn, gave him transportation, took care of him, didn't even just drop him off, took care of him, stayed. He took out two denarii, which would have been like covering like three weeks of hotel stay, and says to the innkeeper, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you. So not only does he sp spend three weeks on him, but he says, make sure that he's 100% taken care of and I will repay you. What does love look like, according to Jesus here? Love looks like practical, tangible deeds of care. Meeting needs and specific needs for the people around you. Now, so th this is huge. And I think that we can read this, you know, and, and especially in a day and age where, like, we're pretty used again you know, to the phrase the Good Samaritan or hearing the Golden Rule or whatever, and we're like, yeah, totally, that, that sounds great. But this is so radical when you actually think about it, right? Because it, it is so common today to just be like, totally, yeah, I love them. I love people. I love everyone. I care about people. I love people. But then in the same breath as you're saying that, not lift a finger to help somebody. But if we look at our Bibles— we can see that though it's so common for us to do that, and though it's so common for us to want to separate in our minds kind of our spirituality 
away from the tangible needs of, of the people around us, looking at our Bibles, we can see that that is like completely backwards to the way that God thinks. And, and we don't even need to like really look at our Bibles that hard. We just need to read it a little bit and we will see all through scripture that God has a different way for living towards each other than we naturally do. So from the very beginning in Genesis, we see sin enter the world and immediately it manifests itself how? And of course, it's breaking relationship with us and God, but also what else? Breaking relationship between people, specifically lying, stealing, pointing the finger, literally murder. And when God starts his rescue plan where he says like through Abraham, he's going to send one person that's going to be the means by which he saves the entire world through one of his descendants. Here's how he describes it in Genesis 18. He says, I've chosen him that we may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And if we fast forward all the way to Isaiah 58, we see God saying to his people, hey, you say that you love me, but it looks like you hate me, right? I hate your sacrifices. I hate your fasting. Talk to me when you started caring for people specifically the poor and the vulnerable. And in Job, chapter 29 and 31, if we, if we look at how Job kind of describes his righteousness and what that looks like for him, he says, I was a dad to the fatherless. I took care of the poor and the widow. I wore righteousness like a shirt and justice like a robe. I made other people's problems my problems. So all throughout the Old Testament, God is very clear about how we're supposed to live with other people. And then even in the New Testament, in James chapter 2, James is writing to this church and he's challenging them about the way that they're living and, and writing to them and saying, hey, you can't just say, I love God and then not care about all of the people around you, right? Listen to what he says in chapter 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James continues to lay out in several ways. You can't just say that you love God and you follow Jesus and then just not care about people. Your relationship to God is reflected in how you treat others around you, especially the poor and the vulnerable. And, you know, James, he makes it super clear in that book, right? It's not that caring for people and taking care of people in need is the thing that saves you, but it's the inevitable fruits that shows that you have been saved, right? So think of it like this. Like the Bible describes our care for other people like it's the fruit showing that we've been saved by Jesus. So imagine two trees, right? You've got one tree, um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a nice tree. It's an apple tree or something. Um, what, uh, Brandon, what's your favorite fruit? Apples? Orange? Apples. Beautiful apple tree, tons of apples. Very alive. You have this other tree. There's no apples. There's no leaves. There's branches are falling off of it. You know, it's like a miserable twig, right? You're like, which one's alive? Clearly the apple tree. But it's not like, oh, the apples are what give the tree life, but rather it's just a reflection of like that one has life as 
evidenced by the fact that it has fruit. Likewise, for us, choosing to follow Jesus, that naturally, inevitably lives out in how we care for people around us. And love looks like this, meeting practical needs, physically, mentally, emotionally, all of the above for the people in need around us. Story gets crazier. To what extent ought we love? Look again with me at verse 31. It says, Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, you know, to us, maybe like we think like it's just like, you know, character number one. Or maybe we even have like, you know, a negative connotation for the priest. Like, yeah, figures the priest. But for this, for this law expert, in his mind, he would have been picturing himself as the guy in the road, and a priest is walking down the road, and he's like, that's perfect. That's so like crazy convenient. This priest is exactly who I would hope would be coming down the road when I'm in like my moment of greatest need. But what does he do? He passes by on the other side of the road. Because here's the thing, this road that Jesus is describing, right? We don't know if it's like a super specific road or just like in general this area. But regardless, we know that as he's describing this type of journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, you would have had to go down these like super like thin, windy, craggy roads with like tons of caves and stuff all around, not a ton of visibility. So basically prime real estate to get robbed, to get jumped. Obviously, that's exactly what happens to this guy. And probably in his mind, this priest sees the guy. It's not like it's a big road, you know, but he moves just a little bit away from him because in his mind, he's thinking like this guy is half dead, which means that he's half alive, which means that there's robbers probably still nearby and I might end up in the ditch myself if I try and stop and save him. So he passes by. Who comes next? A Levite. Levites would have been similar to the priests. They would have been kind of people that worked in the temple, still kind of religious elite, good guys, right? The law expert would have been like, man, bummer that the priest didn't stop, but this is great, like second chances, you know? A Levite, that's awesome. Maybe he'll stop and help him, and then he doesn't. And already, like, this could be an effective story, right? But, you know, it's super interesting I was reading it in one commentary this week. It, it would have been common at this day and age to kind of tell stories like this, where you go, a priest did this, then a Levite did this, and then you would have expected the next person to just be, and then a person came along the way. As in like, and then just a random guy, a lay person. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, then a Samaritan comes down the road. And again, to us, we're like, good Samaritan, awesome, just a guy not to the expert in the law. He would have seen the Samaritan as like the worst guy ever, right? At this day and age, there was a ton of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans living near each other. The Jews, i.e. the law expert, would have seen the Samaritan as like, you are a heretic, you're, you know, a half-breed, whatever. And, and he would have had all this prejudice built up of like, that is like the worst guy ever, you know? And on top of that, he would have thought, I have no obligation to help him, right? In his mind, he's like, who's my neighbor? Definitely not the Samaritan. And yet, Jesus makes him the hero of the story. And on top of that, this is super interesting to me. Jesus could have told the story, you know, a Samaritan was taking this travel and then he got jumped, left for dead in the road, whatever. Da -da -da, the people come by. And then an expert in the law or just a Jewish person stops and help him. 
But he doesn't do that, probably because Jesus would have known, like, the law expert would have been like, whatever, man. You know, yeah, right. That would never happen. But because he tells the story the way that he does, just this random guy like the expert in the law is left for dead in the road, and the Samaritan comes by. The expert in the law can't help but see, like, oh, I'm the guy in the ditch in this story. Would I want the Samaritan to stop and help me? And this is super interesting to me, too. Jesus asks him, right, this question of, like, who, who is the one that proved to be a, a neighbor? So um, just quick call and response, right? Um, and this isn't a trick question. Uh, who is the first person um, to travel down the, well, uh, that might have come across as a trick question. After the guy got jumped, right, there's three characters in the story. Who is the first one? The priest, yep. And then second guy comes by, who is that? And then who is the third guy that helped? Look with me, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. The dude won't even say the word Samaritan. That is how much he's like, like, I've had enough. And Jesus does this to pinpoint the guy's prejudice, his racism, his pride. And in case you couldn't tell, the question, you know, who am I supposed to love? Everyone. Because Jesus flips. Did you notice he doesn't really answer who is my neighbor? Rather, he, he flips the question, reframes it, who was the neighbor? And he changes it from like, where is the line that I have to like get up to? To Jesus is like, no, I'm not playing that game. You tell me who acted like the neighbor? Who had the attitude of the neighbor? And to make it absolutely clear, he makes a guy that he knew the law expert would have hated, the hero of the story, so that he has to say him, the third one. To what extent ought we love people? There is no limit to it. Jesus makes it very clear, as followers of Jesus, we ought to love absolutely freaking everyone. And to the question of what limit is there, where can you stop loving, there is none. There isn't a line. There is no limit. And see, Jesus wants us to quit asking, who is my neighbor, and start asking, do I have a mindset of neighboring? Does my mindset of neighboring lead me to action? And so don't let this pass you by. Like, don't miss how insane this is. Again, I feel like I keep saying this. But this can sound like sweet in sentiment. And you're like, yeah, totally. Like, you know, how do we love people practically? Who do we love? Everybody. You're like, this is awesome. This is like I'm watching the Lego movie or something. Like, everything's awesome. This is great. And, and you can hear that, and it's super sweet and super sentimental. And you'll be like, love everybody. Totally sounds awesome. And then you will go out into the world, and you will immediately think, when push comes to shove, whether explicitly or implicitly, love everybody, but I mean, except that guy, <laughs> or certainly not her, you know, when it actually comes to it, we all, like the law expert, want to be like, okay, but you can't meet everyone. But that's not Jesus. No matter how poor, no matter how different from you, no matter what, we as followers of Jesus 
ought to be the first person to say, hey, your problems are my problems. And let me be super clear. I think that with a text like this, we can kind of hear it and be like, yeah, that's what Jesus is like. That's what following Jesus is like. But then we can kind of feel like, okay, but so this will be very important for me to apply when I get out there post-college, you know, when I get a nine to five and I actually pass people on the road, when I actually have something to give, whatever. But Salt Company, I'm telling you, if you're following Jesus today, you can, you get to do this today. Christian, you can start loving your neighbor now. Your classmate, the people in your dorm, any and every person in need here in Madison or on campus. And, you know, like, as I'm telling you guys this, I'm coming to you not as, like, some wizard that has all this stuff figured out and, like, I'm, you know, the expert on helping people or whatever. Um, This is not, like, an issue that I cared about a ton my entire life. Like I said earlier, like, even just specifically the role of, like, directing local missions for DOXA, I completely, like, fell backwards into this, right? So, um, I... I always make jokes about like churches that use props and I'm realizing that I'm becoming the prop guy because I always bring props when I teach at Salt. But this here, I want to share with you just like a really brief story. This is the Bible that I got when I was a junior in college. It looks um, a lot like the ones that we actually gave you guys, like the blue ones, but I think that yours are a little bit nicer, so you're welcome. Um, But they were giving out free Bibles at one point when I was in college at Salt Company at Iowa State. I was like, I have a Bible, but I could use a new one, so I'll take one. And then that year, um, I decided, like, I've never read the Bible in, 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 in an entire year, um, so I'm, I'm just going to do it this year, you know. Like, I've read most of all the Bible, maybe even all of it, but I've never read it all the way through I'm going to do it this year. So I started in Matthew sometime in fall semester. I'm sure I took, like, a really long time to do it because I'm not good at reading. But um, I was reading in that Bible plan, and I made it to Luke 6. You can even flip there if you want. Let me see if I can make sure I'm finding the right verse. Um, yes. So I was reading in Luke 6, and I do not know why, but this verse stood out to me. Verse 30, Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And it's like not even the most interesting verse in the chapter, but for whatever reason, and I now know like it was the Holy Spirit, I read that, I read the whole chapter that day because it was just like that day's like reading or whatever. And I was just like, hmm, that's interesting. And then just like went, went on with my day. One of those things where you're like, I don't know why that was interesting, but that was interesting. But okay, let me just read it again. So this is like as crazy to you as it was to me, hopefully. Um, Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. I read that sticks out to me for some reason. Like two days later, I get a message on Facebook um, from a guy that I went to high school with. And, you know, I, I knew him in high school, but we weren't close or anything. But he messages me and he says, yo, Sam, are, are you in Iowa? I was like, sad way to start a, a conversation. I was like, yeah, man, I'm always in Iowa. Ha ha. It's so sad. Um, but so I respond. I'm like, yeah, what's up? He says, I need help. My roommate was in a car crash in Milwaukee and won't be here till Thursday at 2 p.m., so I won't be able to get into my place. He has my house key because he lost his. I'm 40 short of a hotel for two days. Can you help me? And I can pay you double on Friday when I get my check. I was like, frick! (laughs) I literally just read 
When somebody asks if you give to them and don't expect anything back, and two days later, someone out of nowhere, hey, can I borrow from you? I'll give all of it back and more. And it was just like the most obvious thing of Jesus was like, follow me or don't, you know, like obey me or don't, you know. So I was like, this is like too obvious, like to ignore it. You know, sometimes, and you shouldn't do this either, but sometimes you can be like, oh, whoops, I I would obey, but I just couldn't for X, Y, Z. This was like the most obvious. So I messaged him back. I'm like, yeah, totally, man. I, I can like help you out. I go like, you know, bring him cash or whatever. Long story short. I had been praying at this time that God would like put people in my life for me to be intentional with um, because I think like in Salt Leadership, we had been talking a lot about like who are the people that God has placed in your life for you to like reach out to, to share the gospel with, stuff like that. Um, And so I I see like this is obviously like an opportunity um, to get to know this guy and like be intentional with him because God like very literally like brought him to me and we start a relationship. Occasionally he'll like ask for help, for a ride, for cash, whatever, you know. Um, and, and I'm like helping him out and getting to know him and stuff. Um, and it was like really stressful because I did not know what I was doing, you know. But again, I was just like, I guess I'll just try like one step at a time, you know. Um, and, and I remember at one point I was like so overwhelmed, specifically because I was getting hung up on like, I don't know if he's always being honest about what's happening with my money. And I don't know if I'm like getting tricked, you know, if, if I'm getting cheated. And so I meet with my D group leader um, and we had never really like talked about helping people who are in like tough situations or in poverty or whatever, but I knew that that was a thing that like he had experience with and cared about. So I talked with him and I was like, hey, like this feels like something that God is doing in addition to like these couple other people that like God's placed in my life, but this one is like extra stressful for whatever reason. Um, like, what do you think that I should do? And my D group leader, super wise, he kind of pauses for a second and he says, well, think if you never want to be cheated and if you never want to be lied to you probably shouldn't help people in poverty um but i'll leave it up to you if you think that you should help people in poverty and i was like frick like (laughs) you know i was like i mean i think i'm still supposed to help people in poverty and he's like i would agree you know but so that was like a turning point for me where i was like all right i get it like this is hard you know and i kind of decided at that point like I'm going to make this guy like my friend. Like this guy isn't a project. It's not like, I'm not like saving him. Like this is like a person that God has given me to befriend, you know. And long story short, like I've like, you know, get to know him over like the next year and stuff and get to know another friend of his. That friend like ends up in prison. I'm like, you know, visiting him in prison. I don't know like what that's like or like how to do that or whatever, you know. And Um, I'm like sharing the gospel with him and he ends up becoming a Christian in prison and I'm like completely like (laughs) overwhelmed like I don't know what's going on or whatever you know to then fast forward this is just like a thing that again I never like signed up for it I never was like this is the thing that I care about a lot you know I knew that maybe I'd want to like work at a church someday but I was never like yes like sign me up I'm the local missions guy it just kind of fell in front of me and God was like do it or don't you know to then eventually you know Rob kind of being like, hey, you seem like you care a lot about local missions. Like, would you be interested in taking that up? And I was like, yeah, like totally. I say all of that to say this. If you're like, that's super impressive or whatever, you're taking the absolute wrong lesson from that. All I'm trying to say is like, I am you. And I don't know what I'm doing either. But I just know that like, whether you are a college student, a middle schooler, a 40-year-old, whatever stage in life, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, you can start loving people like that whether it's your classmate, a friend from high school, somebody you met like just in town, whatever. But 
and I have to speed through this last part, but this is the most important part. So, so listen to me. If I just left you there, you know, told you a lot, like love people, it's going to take a lot or whatever, you know, at best, you'll feel really guilty. Maybe you'll feel motivated and then you'll leave here, um, maybe try for a week and then just get burnt out because that doesn't fuel you to change. How am I supposed to live like this, right? So last point, how are we actually supposed to do this? The key to that is in verse 33. Look with me. It says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The thing that moved the Samaritan to help the guy in need And the reason that the law expert couldn't bring himself to help people was for having or lack of having compassion. And if you had to guess, who do you think is the one person in all of the Bible that most often is described as feeling compassion? Easiest church uh, question ever? Yes, it's Jesus. Unless you see, Salt Company, that you were in the ditch. And Jesus in heaven, though it would cost him everything and though we did not deserve it, laid down everything so that you could have life, you'll never be able to live this way. Only after you have accepted his grace can out of an overflow of what he's done for you, can you then go help others. So Salt, if you are a Christian in this room, I want to say to you, you were in the in the ditch and Jesus came and got you he got off of his horse he died on the cross for you you were completely separated from God lost in your sin and he came and saved you when you get that to the degree that you get that that will completely change the way that you see everybody else because you can't other people anymore when you realize that we're just all in the ditch and that for whatever reason Jesus decided to save you And if you're not a Christian, I don't want you to hear this and hear me say like, try harder, do better, whatever. Don't take away, you know, the same mistake that the expert in the law had. Don't take away like, I just have to try harder and earn my way. But rather, see, though he was God, he did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped, but rather Jesus laid down his life for you. He died for your sins so that you could know him and have eternal life with him. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for that fact that you died for us. That is like one of those things that we hear all the time um, and can just feel like super churchy and normal or whatever to us, God, but I just pray, God, that we would like realize how absolutely insane that is. And I pray, God, that we would like really feel the full weight of the fact that you saw us dead and hopeless in a ditch. You saw us dead and separate from you in our sin, and you chose Jesus to come live the perfect life that we couldn't, die the death that we deserved, and then by your power, Holy Spirit, you rose from the dead, defeating death, sin, and hell. And now because of that and that only, we can have life in you. And I pray, God, that we would just get that and get your mercy and not have kind of this cold heart that the expert in the law had, but rather just like be softened by that 
fall in love with you, Jesus, and want to follow you. And then after that, through that, be able to love our roommates, our classmates, our neighbors, whoever. And God, I just pray for these students that you would just make Salt Company into like what its name suggests, the salt and the light of the earth so that everybody around them would be like, I don't know what's up with you guys, but you're different and you seem to like actually care about people. And Jesus, through that, would you bring people to salt? Would you bring people to you? Would you use that as a witness for your glory that more people could know and follow you, Jesus? We thank you and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.